You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode's guest is Sam Pierre. Sam is the managing partner at SMP Global Consultants, but he is so much more than that. And we talk a lot about his incredible story from working for Mayor Bloomberg to his community involvement to starting a nonprofit. And he also presents some unique views on a couple of major topics that are of interest to me, namely Black love and gentrification. So go ahead and take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Sam Pierre, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm great. I'm great. How are you? I'm excited. You know, we've been talking about you for a while, and we finally got you on, and uh, happy you were available to do this. Wonderful. Wonderful. I I mean, I love the podcast. I listen to a lot of episodes, and I just hope that I can do as well as some of the others. I am confident that you will (laughs) knock it out of the park. So tell me, who is Sam Pierre? Ah, man. Sam Pierre is a, I guess my LinkedIn would say, uh, Sam Pierre is a management consultant um, slash strategist uh, slash the guy that could work through any idea that you have with. Um, I would say that um, I've been blessed um, in my life to have done a few different things. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 2018, I would say that I'm a management consultant um, slash strategist slash uh, nonprofit chairman slash uh, music director for church slash you know, brother, husband, friend, um, who's really trying to help African-American uh, men and women um, succeed in today's world um, via contracting and getting them opportunities to give other people opportunities to be wealthy in America. I love it. You have all the hustles, <laughs> all of them. So let's talk about this management consultant thing. Let's start there because... You know, I have this vision in my head of like Don Cheadle and House of Lies. <laughs> yes, I always tell people loved that show. If, if you come to work for S and P, there's two sh- there's two things I, there's two shows I want you to watch. I want you to watch the movie War Dogs, mm-hmm. and I want you to watch House of Lies. And then after that, we'll have a conversation. War Dogs, which one is that? Is War Dogs is when um, what's his name? Is that with Jonah Hill? Yes, where they were like selling the the guns. The guns? Yeah, yes, yeah, I, yeah, I've yeah. seen that as yes, well. Absolutely. So now I'm curious as to why you want folks to watch War Dogs. Watch War Dogs so that they can have understanding that yes, you can be a multimillionaire with one contract. So if you get one government contract, you can be a millionaire if you are able. But War Dogs also shows you you have to actually fulfill the contract because you don't want to to not get the contract, not fulfill the actual contract. So yes, the government's going to give you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. $4 million to deliver a product or a service, but you actually have to deliver the product and service. And I think War Dogs does a great job at showing you what these consultants had to go through just to get the guns delivered. And because if they didn't, right, then then they would be blackballed. But didn't the feds come down on them anyway? Yeah, well, <laughs> at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, they got greedy, mm-hmm. right? And, and just like anything else in life, greed is what tears people down. So if they paid... The hundred thousand dollars, right, for the labor mm-hmm. for the I think it was like fifty million dollar contract. It would have never, it would have been fine. It would have been great, but no, he got greedy and the empire went down. But I, I and I want people to see that part too because you can do well, you don't have to be greedy. Okay, so let's talk about how you're doing well without being greedy. What does management consulting look like for you today? So I'm in I'm in a very specific um, field. Like usually when people think of management consultants, i.e. Don Chile and um, 
and House of Lies, right? Don Chile says in the beginning of the mo- in the show, he goes, what do we do? We do nothing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to really find your lane as a management consultant, right? So uh, my lane is government contracts, supply diversity, and economic development, right? So those are very specific lanes. Um, and, you know, we do very, very specific things in those very specific lanes. Um, and not to get all boring, but um, in, gov- in, my, in MWBE um, consultants, we consulting rather, we help um, African-American and women owned businesses get certified mm-hmm. um, so that they can have the certification and be eligible to compete for government contracts. So um, let's say you are a, a woman like one of my clients right now. She is an architect mm-hmm. and she's woman owned. Right. Um, so she wants to be able to bid on this huge new um, one Brooklyn contract, right, where the governor wants to consolidate three failing hospitals, right? Um, the average architect, architectural firm, woman-owned, wouldn't even know where to start right. to be able to get this $600 million architectural contract. So they would hire my firm um, and then we would sit down, we would look over what, you know, what services they do, their one-pager, X, Y, and Z. If they're, they're not certified, we'd help them get the certification, whether it be through the city or and the state and the Economic Development Corporation. Um, and then we would get to work, right? We would find out who are the contacts over there, right? We would find out what work are they actually looking for? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people start a company because they're like, somebody told them, oh, you do hair, right? <laughs> but the question is, do you have customers? Because if you don't have customers, if you don't have clients, then you don't have a business. Right. So helping them identify who their customer is, who their client is, um, and, and giving them like, uh, you know, like a a full understanding of what public affairs is and and public work versus private work, all that stuff. So that's what it, they would hire my firm and we would help them do that so they can get there. So is this something that you stumbled upon, like you had an epiphany one day and was like, this is what I want to do? Or was this always a part of the master plan for you? Let me tell you, my... My life is just like, I, I mean, my mother named me Samuel from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Samuel was a judge. Samuel was when I picked David. I think everything, um, everything happens for a reason. I did not, if you asked me five years ago what I would be, management consultant would not be the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Columbia uh, University and um, in order to graduate, I had to do a capstone. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't even want to do it, right? It was just like, oh, I'll do this capstone. And my capstone, uh, my professor was like, you're not going to give me no whack capstone because I talk a lot. So in all my classes, I was very talkative and I had opinions (laughs) and stuff like that. So my professor was like, don't just give me no capstone, corny capstone where, you know, oh, we're going to feed kids in Africa or, oh, he was like, I want you to give me a real like thought through project. So the capstone is basically like you do a case study and you come up with a solution for either a nonprofit or for profit or government. Right. Um, Long story short. I did mines on an agency, a government agency. Um, and, you know, uh, I did it on Department of Corrections. I was trying to be um, coy, but whatever. Right. This is public information. I did it on Department of Corrections. And, you know, why is there such a, a disconnect between inmates and um, inmates, correction officers and back office? Mm-hmm. Right. And the commissioner's office. Like, what's going on? Why is there... Like, why is there like, why is everybody not on the same page? X, Y, and Z. So long story short, I went in there, interviewed everybody. And then I came out with a recommendation to do a management leadership institute. 
where we would train the deputy wardens on communications, right? So now when the press is talking to them, they're not saying craziness that they weren't supposed to say because mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody actually trained them how to talk to the press or... um hey, maybe we shouldn't yell at everybody that works in here. Maybe we should have conversations. Um, You know, little things that you and I would probably do with our brothers and sisters. Right. (laughs) Right. So now you have this guy who's in charge of 300 people, but it's a paramilitary organization. So it's all about respect. A lot of things probably would have been handled better if everybody just had a conversation. Um, So long story short, um... Hand in my capstone. It's all good. Next thing you know, I get a phone call. Hey, Mr. Pierre, we're ready to get this off the ground. Can you send us your W-9? So wait, they called you. Yeah. Like, okay, now you've exposed all this stuff and and highlighted some areas of improvement. And we want to go into contract with you to actually get the work done. Right. But I was just like, wait, no, this was, I got an A. (laughs) This was all for the grade. And the lady was like, no, uh, my boss's boss told me to call you so we can get this going. And I'm like, no, I got to Hey, what are you talking about? I went back and forth with the lady for like 10 minutes. Then I realized, oh, somebody didn't tell her that this was just for a grade. So did you even have a company set up no, at that point? Absolutely not. So what do you say in that I conversation? Said to her, Give me one week. And I went and I became a management consultant <laughs> in a week. I went and I went to Legal Zoom. I found a name. I paid six hundred dollars, and I got my SMP Global Consultants. So that's how your company started. That's how my company started. My company started with a contract for one point three million dollars with the Department of Corrections, right? And then I went to start the company, and then I called her back. It took longer than a week, I'm mm-hmm. exactly. maybe like a month, because I had to get the paperwork, whatever, blah blah blah. And I called her back and I gave her a W nine, and I was like, sure, I'll come in for a meeting. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit, right? Because it's one thing to like do a capstone project and be like, ooh, that's done, you know, fulfilling my requirements to graduate. It's a whole other thing to go to an organization, a government agency at that, and present an implementation plan and actually execute. Because at this point, SMP Global Consultants is just you. Yeah. Right. So how did you make that happen? So, so let's, let's, While I'm packing, let's think about this for a second. My capstone, I had to give them something that was real. Like Mm -hmm. literally you're giving the agency something where they can go use on their own. Mm -hmm. But the agency's not trying to do that. They got other stuff they're doing, right? Right. So usually a management consultant will come and pitch them idea. So I did everything that a consultant would do. do. I came in, I did the research, I did all that. And then I handed them a a, a recommendation. I said, hey, this is what I recommend. This is how much it would cost. This is how much, this is what kind of work you need to be doing. The Management Institute training would be happening at Columbia University. So Columbia would be doing the training. Mm -hmm. The deputy wardens would be coming to Columbia on the weekends. Columbia would find the uh, trainers. The consultant would help Columbia find the trainers. So the consultant would get paid. Columbia would get paid for their space and for their training and the trainees would be there and they would get a certificate from Columbia University at the end. So now when this thing gets pushed around to different people, by the time it gets to the boss, the boss is like, okay, good. I found $1.3 million. Let's make this happen. Wow. So now it's like, okay, who, wait, who, who, who sent this again? Oh, some kid from SEPA. Call him. Tell him that we need to get it started because the boss said, let's go. So now when they call, now when they call me like, yo, listen, we need the paperwork because the, you know, because the boss is like, yo, where's the program? Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And everyone's looking around like, I don't know. Uh, wait, 
where's the kid that started this? Call him. Okay. So this was this before graduation? This is I want to say yeah, before graduation. Okay. So did you like have like were you applying? Were you already working somewhere else? What was happening? So at the time, I'm the executive director of, the, of my nonprofit, Haitian mm-hmm. American Caucus. Um and I really that's why I really went to SEPA really to, to be a better executive director. I feel like um for my organization, I feel like um you know, I, I always know that there's just so much more out there. So I kind of wanted to be a professional executive director. I wanted to understand how to fundraise and I wanted to understand how to like really take my nonprofit to another level. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know, SIPA, what is SIPA? School for International and Public Affairs. Okay, got university. it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So now um, I'm graduating. I'm, you know, I have my nonprofit Um and, you know, so I really wasn't really looking for work like a lot of my other colleagues were because mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I have all the tools that I need now to really go out there and beg because that's what you are as an executive director. For all executive directors that are out there, yeah, you're a glorified beggar. That's what, that's what you are, right? So I was like, oh, I could be, I could be a better beggar now. I have the, the tools, I have the training to be a better beggar. And I was ready to go out and beg. Um, But I owe my... Remember, my underlining goal is to help African-American people do better for themselves. Mm -hmm. So when this opportunity came, it was just like, I can hire people that look like me to be the trainers. Mm -hmm. I can hire people that look like me who traditionally wouldn't have access to an agency and to an Ivy League institution. Right now, they can put that on their resume and they can do much more. Right. In addition, the deputy wardens, they kind of look like me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would help Columbia with supplier diversity to make sure that the trainers look like me and you because that's what the deputy warders look like. Right. <laughs> so so now this opportunity is like, oh, wow, I have an opportunity to A, put a lot of money in my pocket, B, to put a lot of money in other people's pocket and C, give other people opportunities. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, like, this is dope. Like, I, I got to explore this. So how were you surviving financially before all this happened? Um, so like, so my nonprofit was, you know, I was an executive director. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was doing all right. You're doing all right for yourself. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I'm not, I wasn't killing it, you know, like some people, but you know, I was doing all right. Okay. I was, I was doing all right. Um, you know, I also, you know, I also uh, play music. So, um, for my church and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I have, I had a few contracts and, and the nonprofit had a few contracts as well. So I was doing okay. Okay. So you were hustling, you were um, making it happen. And I had a plan. I had a plan to really, um... Like I said, I had a plan to take the nonprofit fundraising to another next level mm-hmm. so that I can add more pieces to the organization so that we can be much more sustainable, have a longer term plan. Um, and, you know, raise my salary, too. You know what I mean? But <laughs> not mad. Not mad. I mean, listen, so, the head yeah. of the Ford Foundation is not making $60,000 exactly. a year. Be exactly. clear. Right. Exactly. So so that was the plan. And, um, and I definitely... You know, I was like, all right, we're going to try to get a million dollars from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and we're going to take that million dollars and we're going to go out and help Asian people. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the plan. It was like, how do I properly approach these large foundations? Like, what are they looking for? How do I organize myself in a way where I can approach these foundations, even if it takes a year, two years, so that they can give me the resources so that we can sustain ourselves for the next five to 10, 15 years? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a plan. Okay. So that's one contract, a significant one. I mean, most people don't start a management consulting firm and, and get a $1.3 million contract out the gate, right? right? Unless they've got some corporate contacts. Right. Where'd you go from there? So just to keep it hunted, 
right? One of the things I didn't know, right? Because people always hear that part of the story, right? Oh, I woke up. One day I was broke. Next day I have a million dollars. Oh, mm-hmm. you can do it too. Just right. pay $8, $80 on my link right here and I'll show you how to do it. Right. No. <laughs> so no, one thing nobody told me was it was going to take me three years to get this $1.3 million contract. Oh, and you had hired people and stuff at this point, I, right? Um, or retained people to train or something? I'm having conversations. Okay, you're having, having conversations. conversations. with people, having conversations, X, Y, and Z. But the contract has to go through Mox, which is the mayor's office of contracts. Gosh. And that, yes. Red tape, bureaucracy. Exactly. So... I'm already, remember, I already, st- I got a website, I got my company registered, I got business cards, I'm ready to go, mm-hmm. ah, let's go. And then, oh, actually, we have to go through some bureaucracy, and it might take three years, <laughs> right? So now, I'm like, you know, I'm, I already got a, I already got a company, I'm, you know, I already pitched one agency, mm-hmm. technically, so I'm like, all right, well, let's figure out what other agencies are doing, right? Let's see how we can be um, successful. So, I decided to do one um to, I decided to practice what I preach, which is find a mentor. Mm-hmm. So I went and I looked for um, an African-American company that's, man- that's doing management consulting, that's helping with government and doing stuff with minorities, blah, blah, blah. And that's when I fell about upon um, JKA, Gene Christensen and Associates. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Gene uh, decided to take me down, take me up as her mentee. And um, she introduced me to the Department of Small Business Services. And I started doing minority and women business enterprise government contracting. Okay. And um, Jean, she brought me in um, and we made a deal. She said she'll mentor me if I'll be her slave. And (laughs) I agreed. And um, that was one of the best decisions ever. So I started being Jean's slave. Um, If Jean's listening, she's probably laughing right now. And, um, you know, she just taught me the rope. She taught me about contract. She said she taught me how to write a contract, right? How to write a proposal. She mm-hmm. taught me how to look, how to win a proposal, basically. So she gave, she subcontracted me to do this job where if someone wants to bid for a contract, they would go to the Procurement Technical Assistance Center in the Department of Small Business Services. And at the P-Tax Center, you can um, register for an appointment mm-hmm. where a, consult- a consultant will sit with you and go over the contract before you submit it. Got it. So this is a service that the Department of Small Businesses provides. So anybody who wants a consultant, if you have a project, if you have a bid, a consultant can sit with you and go over it step by step to make sure that it's where it needs to be. So she hired me as a consultant that reviewed contracts for other other um, business owners and consultants, which means that I had to work super hard to learn how to do that. So you were consulting, but had to learn to consult at the same time. Yes. <laughs> So I, um, so Gene taught me how to do that. So, and it was an express training, like two weeks. So in two weeks, I now know how to like look at a contract and I can tell if you're going to win or not. Got I can it. look at the mistakes you made and I can correct them. And then you go back and fix them and then come back to me again. And then like the whole nine. So um, I started doing that contract and being in the, in the agency, talking to different people, pitching my business, pitching myself. So you start getting uh, one contract, mm-hmm. right? One small, tiny little contract <laughs> to do this kind of work. Then you get another contract to do that kind of work. And then it just kind of builds from there. And then now you're talking to other agencies. Oh, I wonder what department of buildings needs. I wonder what department of transportation needs. So then now you're starting to build a portfolio amongst a bunch of different 
agencies and then they're used to seeing your face. They're used to, to hearing your company's name. Right. You're going to networking events and then they're like, OK, you know, you know, we've heard of SMP. He's been around. Why don't we see if they can do this? Why don't we see if they can do that? Wow. I'm waiting for my one point three minute contract. So how long has it been since this process started with the 1.3? 2016. Are you still waiting for this to come through? (laughs) I'm I'm in my final stages now. Okay. And there's a lesson there, right? Not Mm -hmm. to be a preacher, right? But there's a lesson there because most people would have quit, right? Right. Oh, my God. But, you know, um, I think I learned how to multitask, right? How to be patient because if I have five $1.3 million contracts pending right now, in the next five years, I'm 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 gonna be good. Very right? good. Yes. So the average person will just be like, ah, forget it. But you know, I learned that there's short term gains and then there's long term gains. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep shooting in the gym, right? Because if you don't keep shooting, you're not gonna be able to make those shots in the real game. Right. So um Yes, there were days where I was upset and pissed and like, what the hell? But then like at the end of the day now, it's things are about to come out to come to fruition. And I'm about to, to see my goal come true. But in addition, look at all I've done in the meantime. Right. Look at how many people I've helped and impact in the meantime. And now um, when I want to go for the five million dollar contract. Right. They might say, hey, what have you done? Right. Because they didn't tell me that when I got the one point three. Right. But when I'm going for the five, they might say, well, what have you done? Now I have something to say. You have a portfolio. Right. Before it would have been like, uh, actually, well, right. Right. And people don't people don't see that. True. And I mean, for that significant of a contract, two years or maybe three by the time it comes through, it's not really that long of a time for you. Right. Especially if you're knowledge building. Right. During that that time frame, which is only going to make it that all the more better by the time you go to implement once that contract is awarded. Right. So you're you're doing it right. Right. So let's let's back up. Mm-hmm. Did you have your sights on Columbia for a graduate program and say, you know what, that's where I'm going. I'm going to get in. It's going to work out. How did that all happen? Let me tell you, it's um, it's so interesting. I in 2010, if you asked me if I would have gone to grad school, I would have said no. I don't okay. Know, I need grad. Well, I need a master's for right. I would say that. What was your undergrad in? Undergrad is my. I got a bachelor's at St. John's University. Shout out to SJU. Um, I got a bachelor's in communications mm-hmm. and minor in political science. Okay. Um, so, um, in 2010, I worked for uh the best mayor in New York City ever seen in, in its entirety, Michael R. Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. And uh, working in the Bloomberg administration really completely changed my life. Like, I, I, I sometimes think if that didn't happen, who would I have been today? Um, and I'm sure he's not everyone's fan's favorite, right? Some people are going to groan when you say <laughs> agree, agree. the best mayor um, ever. But, but I I was very blessed um, for the non-believers lucky, right? <laughs> for the super earthy people, the universe aligned. Right? <laughs> to have, <laughs> I got a little bit for everybody. But to, to have had the opportunity to be, um, so at first I was the Brooklyn North director, so I was in charge of Brooklyn Forum. Okay. Um, and then I was promoted to director of African-American and Caribbean Affairs. So I was the mayor's black guy. The token. Yes. <laughs> and um, it was just a phenomenal experience. But it wasn't like an Omarosa situation, right? No. Okay. Just want to make that clear. Well, no, it wasn't like Omarosa because I feel like with Omarosa, she kind of had to figure out what she had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I had portfolios of work to do. Okay. Right? So, like, I never, there was never a time where I was just like, hmm, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Right? Got it. Like, I was literally in charge of all African-American affairs for New York City at a time where stopping frisk was at its peak. 
at a time where um, Bedford-Stuyvesant and, and some other neighborhoods in Brooklyn was experiencing 30, 40 shootings every summer, right? At a time where significant projects were being built, right, mm-hmm. in New York City. So it wasn't like I was... Like I was too busy to to be all up in the sauce, right? Like so, I had yeah. something going on. Right? You were like, the token I, black guy, but you had legitimate initiatives that you were yeah, working. Yeah, I had like serious stuff to, to handle. Mm-hmm. And in addition, I was the I was the the direct link between African American community and their leaders to City Hall. Mm-hmm. So it was like if something was happening. If something happened, a shooting or whatever, my phone rang. And then when I got to work on Monday, they want to know what happened. They, I have to know who were the leaders there. What is their feeling? What do they want us to do? What can we do? What my recommendations are? Should the mayor come out? Does he have to say something? Does he need to say something in the press? All of that was my responsibility. And mm-hmm. I had to tell them, okay, you know, if it happened in Harlem, we need to reach out to Abyssinian Baptist Church. We need to get a quote from Dr. Butts. Uh, maybe we need a picture. We need to have Dr. Butts standing next to the mayor, right? And we need to have Dennis Walcott who's the chancellor. He needs to be standing there. Like, I had to coordinate the whole thing. You were the plug, though. Yeah. <laughs> you were yeah, definitely I mean, the plug. But this yes. is what I'm saying. That's why I said this was such a great experience mm-hmm. for me because at 26 years old, right, I'm over here, you know, like, sitting with some of the top African-American leaders in our country right, um, on behalf of, you know, of a mayor who is disconnected. So... In a way, it's like not only does he want me there, but he needs me because he doesn't know what black people care about. Right. Right. Like he doesn't know what, what makes black people tick. He doesn't know. And I'm in a very unique position to strategically let him know, hey, this is why the mother hates you. Because every day when she goes to work, her son has to deal with this. And he's legit shocked. And <laughs> listen, I mean, not for nothing, to be in a position to be at that level at the age you were mm-hmm. is pretty astounding. Thank you. So, I mean, I I think some people would be in that position and say, listen, I'm just going to take this and then get another Mm -hmm. position in political office and then do something else. Because at that point, you've got the credentials, right, and the experience. Mm -hmm. But to stop and go back to school? Right. So to bring it back to the original question, yeah, yeah, how did you get there? So so that's another thing, right, about Bloomberg, right? Um, In Bloomberg, you, everybody's smart. Mm -hmm. Everybody, right? So 95% of the time, I'm the only black guy in the room. 95% 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody went to Harvard. Everybody went to Columbia. Everybody went to NYU. And that is the conversation. Hey, Delisha, what's up? How you doing? Da, da, da. Oh, where'd you go? Where'd you oh, go I went to, to Harvard. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. I was at Harvard B school, too. How was it? Da, da, da. Oh, do you know so-and-so? And I'm in the room. And where'd you go, Sam? Oh, I don't. I didn't go to grad school. Oh. Then the tone changes, right? It's like somebody sucks the, the air out of the room. Oh. Oh, we have to change that. We have to change that for you. We'll... We'll get you there. Right. So, you know, after a year or two of that, it's just like, all right, you know, you know, maybe I should consider, you know. Sure. And then I had I had mentors. Right. I had Dennis Walcott. Right. Like and that's why I say I'm so blessed to have um, Dennis Walcott, who is the chancellor of the DOE. And he was my mentor. I can walk into his office whenever I want. So mm-hmm. Dennis is looking at me like, when are we getting you to grad school? Right. I have commissioners. I have all these people around who are just like, Sam, you need to go to grad school. So finally, I was just like, ah, fine. Um, and then one of the mayor's um, senior staffers was like, listen, you're black. You're only going to two. You, you're going to you have to go to Ivy League because you're black. Wow. You're a black man. You have to go to Ivy. So I, I didn't even realize what she was saying. Mm-hmm. It didn't even hit me. I didn't even get it. But she was like, you're a black man in New York City. You need to go to Ivy League so that you can get the relationships so that you can make your future better. 
Those relationships are key. Oh, my gosh. And um, I didn't understand. Like, it went over my head. I was just like, okay, fine. So I didn't know where to go, where to start. And this lady said, you're either going to go to Harvard or Columbia. So let's just cut right to it. Uh-huh. Did you have the grades and everything else to go Ivy League? Absolutely not. <laughs> what was your undergrad GPA? My undergrad GPA was 257, 2.57. And I'm proud of my little 2.57 too, but Columbia may not be proud of you actually putting this out there. Okay. Right. I was about to say that right now, right? But you know what? Um, I feel like I have to tell people this, right? Mm-hmm. I, have to, I tell people this all the time. It's like, it's, this is the philosophy. It's either you're going to come in through the front or the back. True. If I had a 3.8 GPA, I could have came in through the front. I wouldn't have to go through all the hurdles that I had to go through to go through the back. Right. So if you do it, it's it's either you're going to do the work in the front or you're going to do the work in the back end. So what does doing the work in the back end look like? Because all I know is it is, you know, I have an Ivy League degree. It's competitive. It's hard to get in. So when I think back door, I think legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's father wrote a huge check and their family name is on a building. What does it look like for you? So the the back door is a little bit of that, a little Mm -hmm. bit of relationships, a little bit of that. But most importantly, you have to figure out a way to convince because people, they make it bigger than what it is. What is the what is the whole point of a process? A whole point of a process is to weed out people that you don't think are going to last in our program. Right. Or to find the people that we know are naturally going to be successful. Mm-hmm. That's the part. Of, that's the whole process of of getting into school. So the back end work is literally having s- s- using psychology in writing your essay. Right. <laughs> So that someone could read this and say, you know what, even though this kid has a 2.57 GPA, look at all the work he's done. Mm-hmm. Right. This freaking 26 year old was on a was on the Brooklyn Bridge Park project. Like he was managing, you know, 300 people during Hurricane Sandy. Right. Like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Yes, he was a party wild boy at St. John's University. But look, he, he went from that to this, doing this, and now he wants to take his career to the next level. So let's take a chance on this guy. So were you shook? Like, I don't know if this is going to work, or were you confident? Um, I'm I'm naturally, uh, uh, they call me the eternal optimist. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm very a very optimistic person. Um, And I just said, I said, listen, God, I'm either getting into Harvard or Columbia. That's it. And um, the Kennedy program, there's a story with that too, but, you know, I can't, I can't say it out loud, but, um, you know, I didn't get into um, Kennedy, the Kennedy program. I basically got um, pushed for the year after. You got deferred a year, okay. Yeah, deferred mm-hmm. a year. Um, but then, and then I got accepted to Columbia. So I was like, I had a Kennedy school, so I, I, I accepted Columbia. Um, but those are the only two schools I applied to. I wow. I didn't apply to any other schools. I said I'm going to either get into Columbia or Harvard, and I was going to put all my energy into getting into one of those schools. So there's a message here that I want to make sure people get because you had the faith and the optimism mm-hmm. and you may have had a deficit on one end, namely the, the, you know, the cold hard numbers that they look at when they start to calibrate candidates. But you were knocking it out of the park. Yep. You know, on another area in terms of your work experience and your contributions to the community. And I think sometimes people hear just the faith part. They're like, I just got to believe. Right. But there's this whole other element that you have to figure out what your strengths are and play up to those strengths and give it 110 Mm -hmm. in those areas where you can excel, even if there's some weakness over here. Absolutely. And that's why I said either you're going to get in the front or you're in the back. The front would have been 3.99. Did everything right. Cool. I'm in. Mm -hmm. The back. I had to work 
Right. <laughs> I had to show. I had to boost my resume. I had to get people, people of high level and influence who attended Columbia mm-hmm. to be able to write my letters of recommendation and say why they believe that St. Pierre would do well in this program. Mm-hmm. People that graduated from Columbia, people that Columbia takes seriously, people that Columbia, you know, are working with on a on a daily basis. Because now if this guy said that he, he believes this kid could do it because he's worked with him on, on major projects. Right. And he graduated and he's an alumni, then I should take a chance on this kid. So you walked in from the first day. I mean, I know you're an eternal optimist and you had already been around these folks with like these crazy credentials. So did you walk in the first day, like chest out, shoulders up? I got this. I walked in. Let me tell you, um, SIBA has this um, math boot camp that they recommend you take. Right. Oh, God. Did not go to math boot camp. Right. Why am, I, why am I going in the summertime? I'm going to take a math boot camp. Get out of here. Right. So wait, you had, you came out of St. John's with a 2.57. Uh, now you had an opportunity uh-huh. to sort of get yourself primed and ready. Jonah and you didn't and go. Whale. Jonah and the whale. <laughs> I didn't go to math boot camp because it was boring. Um, And my friends, I mean, we walked into the math boot camp. There was this Russian guy. Right. D- had mad numbers on the, the board. We stayed there for five minutes and we was like, let's go get some drinks. We left that math boot camp laughing. But the funny thing is, he had the last, last laugh. Because when school started, man, we got the slap of our lives. We you absolutely economics. did. Oh, Econ yeah. Econ 1. And, and it was, the math boot camp was for people who haven't been in school for years. And it was a free boot camp. Econ 1. <laughs> you didn't we, have to pay for it. Girl, we was, we was at the bar chilling. Let me tell you, that was the hardest semester Ever. Listen, I took econ, both micro and macro in undergrad. And all I remember from that first semester is the professor going, clear. Is everything clear? And nothing was clear. Right. So I couldn't even imagine at the at the graduate you. level. Let me tell you. And that was that's what I mean by the work at the, at the back end. Mm-hmm. Because I thought I was going to be sliding through. Because remember, everybody went out of their way to get me in. Right. But now you got to stay. You got to do the work. This is why I thought <laughs> you would be like, okay, a lot of people... St- stuck their neck out for me. me now I have an opportunity to go in and get a, a jump start. Let me take advantage of that. I don't even have to pay for it, but you didn't do that. You. Because you got to understand, life will get in your way, right? So here I am, my first semester, bombed. What does bomb look like? Let at, me tell you, girl. What kind of grades were you getting? Girl, <laughs> I got... <laughs> I listen, bombed to the point I had to have that talk. I had to go downstairs to no. have that talk. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you really want to be here? Because your grades don't reflect it. And, and and this is what I mean by constantly, right? And I didn't I didn't know what it meant to go hard in school. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't know what it meant to go hard in school. And I went downstairs. My counselor said, listen to me. We're going to put you on probation. Yes. So you ended up on academic probation. probation. Yes, I was. Academic probation. And you know what? That was the best thing that happened to me. Because that's when the light bulb clicked. Like, like, that's when I was like, oh, I got all these people that vouch for me. Mm -hmm. Because they're going to ask me. They called me. Hey, how was your first semester? Right. Hey, you know, how is it? You know, it's going, you know, it's good. You know, we here. <laughs> They're not trying to hear that. And at that point, I, that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to really, like, I was in the library every day. I made the library. Lehman Library became my second home. Lehman Library became my second home. And I graduated cum laude. Really? So you rebounded hard because, uh, oh, you man. know, grades and credit are a lot alike. It takes a lot to get it Let at that excellent you. level, but you get off track a little bit and it tanks. Oh, man. So I you, you pulled it together. I, I had no choice. I had no choice. And I, and I and it was the reason why it was one of the greatest things that happened to me. This was the first time in my entire life where I literally right took my mother's advice. Like my mom is like, 
your friends are going to be there. Mm-hmm. The fun is going to be there. She's always told me that. But I finally took the advice. <laughs> your friends are going to be there. Your family's going to be there. The fun is going to be there. But you know who's not going to be there? This opportunity. True story. And I just, hey, where's Sam? Sam's at the library. Man, you always in the library. Come to, nah, bro. Can't be there. Yo, we got this. T- mm, can't make it. Gotta be in the library. I was, I was literally in the library from like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. So you were a full-time student, for real. Well, I had the flexibility of the nonprofit, mm-hmm. right? So most of my nonprofit work um, during the day, I was able to do it in the library, right? And then I had my, like, my events and meetings in the evenings. Okay. So like my community work, everything really starts at 7.30, if you think about it, mm-hmm. 6 o'clock. So I could, I would, instead of being in the office, I was in the library. Got and it. all the readings. So I did all the readings. You know how professors be like, hey, I want you to read like 700 chapters and nah, nobody I, reads You got to pick and choose. I did all the readings, every single one, which is how I became the talkative student. Remember what I said then? Yes. I did all the readings. I did all the problem sets. I did all the work, everything. Um, And... So it was always in you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it just was took just, a while in an, an academic part. setting oh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to pull it yeah. out. I mean, growing up, I've always been on the honor roll. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got to high school, I became a social bug and then it went down from there. So it, it was there. I just needed it to be reactivated. Got it. OK, so let's since you mentioned you being a social butterfly, let's switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. You are married. Yes. Right. How long have you been married? married. I've been married for three years now. Mm, Yeah. Three years. After three years, you don't, you you stop saying three years and so and so months. Right. Right. Okay. So where in the process did you meet your wife? Oh, the interesting life of St. Pierre. Mm -hmm. I met my wife. Love in the club. You you really found love in the club? I met my wife at Katra. Katra. The club Katra. Yes. Okay. What year was this? This is 2012. 2012. Okay. Uh, So this is way before grad school. You were even thinking about mm -hmm. it. Was this before mm -hmm. you you were at the mayor's office? This is while I'm at the mayor's office. While you're at the mayor's office. Okay. So you got some like governmental swag happening. Mm -hmm. Let's not bury the lead here though. Your wife is a doctor. (laughs) Yep. What's her specialty? She's an anesthesiologist. Okay. So she's playing no games. If anybody knows about the field of medicine, you know that Sam's wife is that deal yeah. if she is an anesthesiologist. African-American woman, black woman. Yes, and he is married to a country. black woman. Yes, I Let's am. clap I'm it up for that. Yes. Gotta be. So let's talk about that for a minute because there's this idea that black men, especially due to ego, can't really handle being married to a black woman who has reached a certain stature in her professional career. Did you struggle with that at any point, especially because your story is a bit up and down? Mm-hmm. No. Um, so, um, you know, being a church boy, right. I'm taught that the, that the man is a leader, right. Mm -hmm. As a man, you're a leader. Um, that doesn't mean you're better than a woman. That doesn't mean she's your slave, but that the the family dynamic and the family unit is very important. Mm -hmm. The only way, and this is where people get it mixed up. The only way someone is going to follow you is if you're leading, Mm -hmm. but the only way to successfully lead anything is if you're listening to the follower. That's good. So I think that the marriage is a partnership. Mm-hmm. And but in order for any partnership to work, there has to be a leader. But that doesn't mean that the leader is bossing the person around. People mm-hmm. get that mixed up. Just because I'm the CEO of my house, that doesn't mean that, or I'm the president of my house, that doesn't mean that the vice president, you know, many a time is making most of the decisions, Mm -hmm. just like any corporation. And I have to be okay with letting the vice president take the lead, Mm -hmm. right? But at the end of the day, I need to know that I have to, I'm the president at the end of the day. 
So I have to empower my vice president. My vice president empowers me because there's days where I want to quit the company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the vice president got to be like, no, you're the president. But no woman, and, I, and I'm going to say this and people are going to probably um, beat me up and fight me and try to kick me out of New York. We like a little controversy, though. No woman, especially a black woman, right, wants to be with someone who doesn't see themselves as a leader. I don't care what you are. I don't care if this is, if you're Michelle Obama. I don't care if you're Oprah Winfrey. I don't care if you make a billion dollars a year. You want to be with a leader. And if that man understands his role as a leader, it doesn't matter if she's making a billion dollars because you're the leader. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if she's this or if she's that, she's a senator, or she's that. It doesn't matter. None of that matters because you are the leader. So how does that jive with finances? Because I think sometimes I've had some conversations where, you know, men have this idea that to be the leader, I have to be making more money than you. Right. I've got to out earn you. Right. And sometimes, you know, I've heard men say, well, I'm OK with her making more money, but she feels like she's the boss of me because she makes more money than men. Right. So I think sometimes women can hold that over somebody's head, too. So how do you navigate those those waters? I mean, I, I, I mean, like I'm I'm, you know, my Bible and my, you know, what I'm reading is telling me that we're this is a team. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always use this example. Um, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, they won a championship, right? Then they go, then they go out and get um, Kevin Durant. They already won the championship. Right. They already won. Then they go out and get Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant takes a pay cut to join this team. Mm-hmm. Clay Thompson has to take less shots. I don't think people rec- recognize that this is happening. He has to take less shots, take less minutes to bring in another superstar. Why would he ever do that? Because he wants a ring. Mm-hmm. Then they win, right? Then they bring in JaVel McGee. Then they bring in other players. Why are they doing this, right? <laughs> then on top of that, they bring in DeMarcus Cousins. Right. Who's willing to take a pick. What's going on? They want to ring, win rings. Mm-hmm. In a marriage, you want to win rings. True. You want to win the championship. So if my wife... Has if she's shooting more shots than me, right? Are we winning the championship? Is it about me shooting more shots and me getting the MVP, or is it about the championship and the ring? And once it's about the ring and the championship, and not about the MVP, not about who the finals MVP. Steph, Steph Curry has never won a finals MVP. That is true. Once it's not about finals MVP. Once it's not about oh, well, I, I need to be doing the interviews after the game. Once it's not about that, then it doesn't matter who's shooting the shots because at the end of the day, we're winning the ring. So you don't subscribe to this idea that men have to be the primary breadwinner. I don't think that a man has to be the primary breadwinner, but I do think he has to be the leader. Okay. And I do think by being a leader, he has to show that he has a plan. Mm-hmm. Because another thing, a woman does not want to be with a man that doesn't have a plan. Right. So even if you're not the primary breadwinner in your in your marriage or your relationship, you need to have a plan to show your significant other that you that you're on your way to doing something great. Because guess what, Barack Obama was not the primary breadwinner in his marriage. Right. Right. But guess what? He became the first black president of the United States of America. So his wife was the primary um, breadwinner for a very long time. But he had a plan and she supported him and she supported his plan. And now he's a very wealthy man. He's doing all right. (laughs) He's He's doing doing all right. right. right? So what if she was like, "Mm, this ain't gonna work for me right now. Your broke ass is over here trying to be a community leader. Imagine she said that. Nobody ever says, oh, 
Yeah, I know you were the president and all, Barack, but still, Michelle was making more money than you right. back in, in 1998. Michelle was making. Does any, has anybody ever said that? No. Right. They say, oh, look, you were the president of the United States and Michelle was with you. But I think you brought up a key point because people put out these memes and like, you know, they they, they put these posts like, you know, Barack had a hole in the floor of his car, mm-hmm. you know, when they went out and Michelle was still down. And he, you women, you mm-hmm. females, I hate when men say you females, Absolutely. by the way, you females, you know, you can't hang in there. And I always chuckle at that because it's like. Barack wasn't like living in his mom's basement, you know, doing nothing. He had had a a vision for his life and ambition. Mm -hmm. And he was working, consistently working towards Towards that. that. It may not have manifested yet, but obviously she saw something, too, that says, you know what? I'm going to rock with this person. Agree. Because he had a leader's spirit. And and you hit the nail on the head for me. That's the difference. And watch this. This is the part of the story nobody talks about. Maybe Barack had to babysit a few times so that Michelle could go and do her thing. True. Maybe Brock had to wash some dishes. Maybe he had to scrub some tubs. Nobody ever talks about that, right? Because, hey, if I'm going to stick in there and handle all the bills and do this, you better be scrubbing some tubs. You better be changing some diapers. Right. And I mean, I've read that that was an area of contention at one point. Of course. You better be doing that because you can't be out here. I'm paying the bills. I'm doing this. And you out every night mm-hmm. and you you over here playing dominoes and drinking beer with people and I got to scrub the tubs and I got to clean the kids and I got to make lunch. No. And that's the part where a lot of men struggle, I believe, is that, listen, man, you're just going to you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to compensate for the areas, you know, where you're weaker. Mm-hmm. Right. So that it makes sense. I scrub tubs. I'm a tub scrub expert. <laughs> yes. I have to scrub the tub. Yes, I have to wash it. We have a dishwasher. Me and my wife fight all the time because she's like, why are you always washing dishes? I ain't grew up with no damn dishwasher, right? <laughs> my mom told me I had to wash all the dishes. So I wash dishes. I scrub tubs. You know, I have to clean. Yes, I go pick up laundry. I drop her laundry off, right? I go to the grocery store and pick up groceries because I have to make her comfortable, right? Because Listen, yes, I'm the leader, but I need to also show her that I'm thinking about what she needs. I rub my wife's feet. Yes. So you know how to serve. Absolutely. Which is indicative of a great leader Absolutely. who knows how to be a you servant. You have to serve. I'm there. If, if she's having a long day at work, I got to put the phone down for a second. And I got to listen to her. Mm-hmm. She needs to feel that I am present for her so that she can be there for me. You're giving a master class right now. You know that, right? <laughs> and it ain't easy. Don't, I don't even want to pretend like I'm some, oh, this is a great, marriage is great. No, we fight all the time. We <laughs> fight all the time. I'm glad you right? said that no, too. Listen, but I understand. It's funny. I was just saying that earlier today. I was like, a man, what I've learned so far, you have to want the marriage more than a woman. Really? Period. In order for a marriage to work, the man, especially a black man, you got to want the marriage more than a woman. And what makes you say that? Because when your wife tells you, well, then whatever then, right? And she has her hand in your face. You as a man have to be able to internalize that and say, babe, I know you just hot right now. I'm going to let you go cool off. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the minute, because women are great. I say, well, I don't need you. Well, you know what? You can leave. If you're not happy here, you can, they're great at that. They have master's degrees, PhDs <laughs> in that. The minute something happened, you know what? You're not happy here. Leave. At that moment, the man has to say to himself, A, you know what? All right, I'm out. Mm -hmm. Or B, she's hot right now. She's not thinking right. 
She's emotional. I'm going to let her cool down. And when she cools down, we'll revisit this conversation. Let me go watch this football game and let me ignore her ass while she's going crazy. <laughs> and later on, we'll talk about this. Because if I, because when I say I'm all right, word, I'm out. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Right. When I'm like, you know what, word, you think you all that? I'm out of here. Because when I say that, I'm going to, to my boy's crib, right? We're going to check out the girls. We're going to have a good time. A lot of times when women are excited and angry, right? They're going through an emotion. They're going to calm down. They're going to come back to reality, right? But when they come back to reality and I went out with my friend, now I caused more harm off of something that was just happening for the moment. And now we got to deal with what I just did last night, right? Because she was just reacting. And now the whole, the whole, thing's, the whole thing's messed up. Okay, so outside of emotion, right? Because we do have those moments where mm -hmm. you're in a debate or an argument and a woman that has the ability to take care of herself may have the thought of like, I don't... I don't need you, right? I don't need your money. I don't need anything for you in the height of the moment. Right. But sometimes I think because a woman um, who's really ambitious and is successful at the beginning of the relationship, because she does have those characteristics, that independence and can sometimes eclipse right. this idea that she wants a partner or, or needs a partner. So did you feel that in the beginning? Like that struggle, like your wife was like, yeah, you all right, you here, but I don't necessarily need you. Or do you feel like she was open from the beginning? I think for women, there has to be a level of... Um, you have to understand, listen, there's a there's part there's a partnership that I'm seeking. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of women may it's hard. I, I understand it's so hard. Like imagine you on your own, independent for all these years, and now you got this dude who's gonna be telling you what to do, X, Y, and Z. Um, I think women sometimes have to really take time to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Remember we talked about the plan to find out, well, what is this plan? How do you plan to execute this plan, right? Right. And then figure out how she's going to play the role of coach, right? Mm -hmm. Because so many times the coach has to deal with egos. Phil Jackson had to deal with Michael Jordan. Right. Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. He had to put all these egos and personalities together and sometimes had to put himself, he won championships, mm -hmm. put himself aside, to be able to manage and coach these these men to an, a championship, right? As the woman, you got to be, you're the coach. What you say can make or break your man's attitude. So once you understand that perspective, then, because remember, it's the championship that we're chasing. Right. Then it's easier to say, I'm the coach, right? There's times when Michael Jordan didn't listen to the coach. Mm -hmm. right? I'm the coach. I'm telling him what to do. I told him to do this. He didn't listen, right? And have to understand, okay, I'm independent. I have my own. I don't need this man. He told me his plan. I see where he wants to go. His hard head is causing him to not get there. I'm going to hold it in, mm -hmm. play the role as a coach, and redirect my player to make sure that he can see the mistakes that he made and understand my value as a coach so that we can get to the championship. So I think my wife was very good at saying to herself, look at this fool. <laughs> look at this fool. He wants to do this. He wants to do that. He wants to do that. Let me organize him and put him in, our, in you know, let me get him in this lane, right? You know, maybe there was a day where she emasculated me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe there was a day where she just couldn't hold it anymore. I got to tell him by himself, right? But then going back to what I said about me having the understanding, right? Understanding that she was just hot for that moment and then we could come back and have a conversation. She gets to go back into coach mode. All right. But you said you wanted this, babe. You said you wanted to do this. And the reason I was mad is because you said that, but you're not doing this. You're not doing that. And then me having to accept what my coach is telling me. Mm -hmm. You need to practice two more days. You want to win the championship, 
you sleeping in your bed and not taking it personal. And the coach now having to say, this fool, I should, I should ask the GM to trade it at trade him for somebody else. Nah, I'm going to ride with him. I'm going to keep fighting with him because I believe in his dream. So I think just from what I'm hearing, one of the really strong suits you have in your relationship, which may be lacking uh, in our generation, is the, for lack of a better term, stick to So the ability to say, I'm in this and I want to make this work um, and I'm, I'm going to rock with it no matter what. You have to have that because right. this idea of like we always have an out, like, oh, I'm just going to file and there are all these other great people out there does not help. Um, for us to sort of get in it and stay in it. So what would you say to those who aren't in it yet, but want to be like, so for the successful women out there, because you will hear a lot of successful black women say black men can't handle me. Agree. They can't. And you'll hear a lot of black men say she's too independent. You know, she's going to emasculate me. She doesn't know how to talk to people or she doesn't know how to let me take the lead. How do we bridge that gap? What do you say to those who are, are not or are still on the single side of it? I, I'd say, listen, um, women, and this ain't gonna be popular, mm-hmm. but that's it's not your job to go find a man. Mm-hmm. It's not your job to find a man. And the funny thing is the women that go looking for a man and it doesn't work. And when they tell me, I'm like, what did you expect? Right. You was looking. That's not your job. You can't propose to yourself. <laughs> no now I'm with that. Do, that might be old school, but I, I agree with no that. No matter what you do, you can't propose to yourself. You trying to control. I need to control the situation. You trying to control it all you want. He got to propose to you. Mm-hmm. So look at you. You doing all this. At the end of the day, it's up to him. I always tell women, you have to do what you got to do, right? Yes, put yourself in the right environments, right? Put yourself in the right environment for the king to come and find you. Mm-hmm. The lioness never searches for uh, the lion. Never. Mm-hmm. Lioness never searches for lions. Lions search for lionesses. And then the lions got to fight for her. Even when he finds her, she's still like growling and, you know, sniffing around. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure that he know that this ain't no, you can't just come in here, right? Because she is about to birth his legacy, the next king. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people really think about this, right? When you think about relationships, I think people just think, oh, I just want to be in a relationship. Like, are you trying to create the, the future kings and the future queens of this world, your future legacies. Is that what this is about? Right. And if it's about that, right, then nothing um, can get in the way of that, right? Right. Like, I think I always laugh when, um, when I hear this notion of like, oh, well, he better or she better. Mm-hmm. Because once I hear you say that, then you're not mentally thinking of excellence or the future or, or, or legacy, you're not right. thinking about that. You're just like society is getting in your way. Um, so my advice to the women is you have to do your thing. Keep doing your thing, black girl. Um, get your education. Get everything you got to do. But um, put yourself in an environment for the king to come to you. And when he does come, ask him what is his plan. Because mm-hmm. a man's going to tell you from day one. He's going to tell you whether he's here to smash or if he's trying to do something long term. Agreed. He's going to tell you. So I'm, I'm, I'm never shocked when a woman tells me, oh, look what he did to me. What did he tell you on the first day? Did he roll out his plan? Right. Did he tell you where his future is? Did he tell you what he's working on? He didn't tell you anything. I'm just chilling. You know what I mean, I'm here. I'm hanging out. So how do you expect for that guy to become your king? Right. And some for me, I don't even think it has to be like a roll out an A to Z plan on a first date. But you will see evidence of someone moving with intention. Right. So, you know, people sort of laugh at me because the way that I approach dating is I don't read between lines. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to uncover blues clues and figure it all out. Because I believe if a man is, is moving with intention, there's no need for him to throw out hints. 
Right. If he's interested, he's going to pursue with a certain level of vigor right. and he's going to be serious about it. Right. And that's just that. And even if so, even if he's not saying in the beginning, because that could get a little creepy if somebody was like, this is my plan, you know, right. for us, let's right. say. I, I'm not right. saying career and stuff like that. But if I see that he's moving with a certain level of intention and he's consistent, I know this this brother's serious. Right. That's that's my first indication. And I am not filling in any blanks. Right. Like, I'm not that person. I'm not going to fill in the blanks because I feel like with the right person, you should not have to. Absolutely. For sure. So that's, I, you know, I'm, I'm not doing the heavy lifting for for anybody. So I, I appreciate you putting this out no, here. Absolutely. I, and for the brothers, mm-hmm. listen, man, look, the party got to end, man. Right. The party has to end. Like, listen, we party hard, like 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26. Bro, the party got to end. <laughs> The party has to end. And I'm sick and tired of my African-American brothers thinking that the party ends at 40, right? Thinking that the party ends at 42, mm-hmm. right? I'm not saying you got to end the party at 21, 22, because I, that's, I was at my peak there. But if you're trying to get somewhere serious in your life, you're going to need a foundation. Right. You're going to need a home, right? So, and and it's interesting to me how Everybody understood my my the concept of winning a championship. Mm-hmm. Like you got guys that will break it down. Yeah, man, we need to get this player because da 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 da. And I'm loyal to this team. Loyalty, loyalty. And we need to, they could they could break it all down. And Dudes will ride a team. They'll Come ride on. for their team through Come the lows, the highs, highs all Why? of it. Because they understand the concept of winning a championship. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to relationships, nah, yo, right now I'm not really trying to like be in a relationship right now. You know what I'm saying? X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying. That every man and marriage is for everyone because it's not. Right. I'm not saying relationships is for everybody because it's not. For those who want that, right? I think you, I'm not saying wake up tomorrow and just go get a wife. What I'm saying is you got to start planning it the same way the general managers go and scout basketball players in high school. Mm-hmm. Right? Why do they do that? Why? Because they're thinking of the future. Why do they look at the college players? Why? They're thinking of ways to position themselves to get that player that's going to take their team to the next level. So I'm not saying stop everything you're doing and go get married right now, but I'm saying start planning. If you're going to 16 parties a week, maybe you should go to 12. (laughs) Just dial it back a little bit. Yeah, dial it back, right? Start looking around. Start looking at the scouting reports, right? Who's winning? Who's ESPN's top five? How can you get around ESPN top five, (laughs) right? Maybe go on a date with one. I'm not telling you to leave, you know, side chick two, three, four, five. Yo, keep your little side chicks. You need to be going to meet with ESPN top five. And then once you you start to keep your little side chicks. Once you start getting serious with top two, top three, top four prospects, right? You got to get rid of them side chicks. And listen, I'm a realist. Dating in New York, you have to know you are one of many. Until okay. something is locked okay. down, okay. you so, are in rotation. Okay. So I'm not, it's not like I'm saying, oh, every man rushing to get married. I'm just mm-hmm. saying, if you want to win a championship, you got to get a good player. You have right. to. How are you going to get a good player if you're not focused? How are these teams going to, how's the Philadelphia 76ers having Ben Simmons and all these other They have to be focused. They lost for a very long time. I use a lot of basketball I'm references. I'm a basketball lover. But you have to be focused, right? So you can't be out here doing all this and expecting to win. Expecting for the player to want to play for your team, right? Because right. you're not showing them a reason to come there. You're not right. showing them to want to be very good, to work hard. You have to do that in order to land your queen. And if the guy... Watch this. This this is the altar call part. If the guy 
<laughs> is looking for his queen and he's putting things in place. He has a plan for his future. And the queen ain't looking for the king, but she's in position, right? Now, boom, when the king meets the queen, he can tell her, hey, this is my plan. Mm -hmm. She can now say, oh... He has a plan, right? Ah, uh, he needs a coach. I'm going to be his coach so that we could win the championship together. Message. Should we pass the offering plate? <laughs> yeah, well, I need it. <laughs> so you dropped a ton of nuggets, but you have to answer the question, of course. Tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Mm, man, man, oh man. Um, which one should I which one do I use today? Actually, I want to use 2010. So in 2010. Because we, we just experienced an earthquake last night in Haiti. 2010, January 12, 2010, when the earthquake happened, mm -hmm. everyone was calling me crazy. Like my phone was going crazy because everyone was like, let's call Sam. Let's call Sam. Let's call Sam. Um, I decided I turned my phone off. You turned your phone off? I turned off. my phone off. And I decided that I was going to go to sleep. And I went to my cousin's house because I didn't want people to find me in my house. And I was like, tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and I'll deal with this. It was too overwhelming. It was too overbearing. I, I, I just didn't, I couldn't handle it. I went to sleep at my cousin's house. My brother, who was looking for me, because everyone was couldn't find me, so they called my brother. My brother called my cousin and my cousin was like, man, this guy's over here sleeping over here. And my, my cousin gave my brother the phone. He said, listen to me, get up. He said, your people need you right now. And these are your people for real. Yo, bro, you don't understand, man. Like, I have like, I had like 25 voicemails. My voicemail is full. Text messages, wazoo. I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know. Everyone's crying. They're showing, CNN is showing pictures all the time. My family's crying. We don't know where. Our family, it just, I was, it's too much. I just want to go to sleep and tomorrow I'll deal with it. My brother said, get up. Get up right now. You better get up right now. And the planning starts right now. And did your nonprofit exist at this point? We, we were a month in. Wow. We were a month in, which is why people were calling us. Because here, a month ago, we're like, oh, Haitian American caucus. Right. We're here. And then boom. And I'll never forget, my brother, my brother told me, get up. Your people need you. And I got up out of bed and I had a conference call with 60 people at three o'clock in the morning. Haitian American leaders in the whole East Coast. And we planned basically a hurricane relief at 3 a.m. Um, on January 10th. So you went from being in the bed mm -hmm. to somehow getting 60 people on the phone in the middle mm -hmm. of the night and planning a hurricane relief. Yep. And out of that plan came, um, out of that plan came people from all over the East Coast that came to volunteer. Out of that plan, this is crazy, out of that plan right there, nine years later today, I have 600 kids in Haiti right now that have a school that are getting educated. Really? Yes. So that's legacy. Yeah. For real. But what if I went to sleep? What if I woke up the next day and like it's still too overwhelming? Mm -hmm. What if I said, you know what, this is not for me? Would 600 kids be getting educated at Ecole Shalom, um, Desfuez, and Cuadabuque, Katie, today? Would we be um, launching our high school next year? Would I have three and a half acres of land in Haiti right now where we're going to be um, building a academic and technology um, sports complex? Would my eighth graders have the opportunity to come and play soccer for division one schools by the time they graduate college in four years? Probably not. That's amazing. Yeah. So I have to ask, do you have political aspirations? <sighs> That's a touchy one. Um, I know it's touchy, but I'm asking it anyway. It's a touchy one because um, the, I don't know. I don't know. And I think, um, I don't know. And I think I'm at a place where, um, We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. 
We'll see what the future holds. I had political aspirations. Um, I wanted to be a senator. Like that was everything that I wanted to be a senator. The opportunity, it just wasn't for me mm-hmm. at the time. It was a lot of lessons that I had to learn. Um, I tried to run in 2015. I didn't get on the ballot um, because my mentor at the time told me that it's not my time. I was hard-headed. I didn't listen. I tried to run against him. He gave me a spanking. You tried to run against your mentor? Mm-hmm. Well, his candidate. Okay. Um, He gave me a nice spanking. It hurt, right? Um, my uncle, Elon Gibson, always said, "If you, those who can't hear will feel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Haitian saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I got a little spanking. I took some heat in the media. Um, I got in a little bit of trouble back then. It came back to haunt me. It was a great lesson for me. I learned how to overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot of lessons um, throughout that journey. Um, I'm now great friends with the senator. I'm now great friends with my mentor. Um, I have two cousins who are elected officials right now that I was their campaign manager. Um, we have a Democratic club. So I'm very much still, my hands are in there. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think that right now, um, the opportunities that I have in front of me are important. Um, I prioritize my school in Haiti. I prioritize my nonprofit. I prioritize my consulting firm. Um, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. If, if I see open, would I run for it? Probably not. Um, God has blessed me to be in a position where I've I advise a lot of elected officials, and I think they're all crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like right now, in the position that I'm in, where I'm like on the outside looking in and I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. um, without dealing with the feds. Um, <laughs> I kind of like that right now. <laughs> so it's not off the table just it's, not, it's not right it's now. It's not off the table. It's just I don't have an appetite for it okay. right now. I think like people would have to talk me into it. If, if, it, if it were to happen today. But I don't know what could happen in five years. Okay. Right? I don't know what can open up. But today, some people would, serious people would have to talk me into it because I have a lot going on. It's not like right. I'm just sitting around like do-do-do-do. Like I have a lot of projects. I have a lot going on with my business and my nonprofit. Right. And um and my marriage, right? Like I want, I need to know how would this impact my wife? Mm-hmm. How would this impact my friends? Um, So, and I kind of like being the guy that um, elected officials call when they need help with, right? So it's kind of like, it's it's weird. It's kind of like coming out of retirement right, yeah. to play in, in the league again. And I don't know if I got a cushy job at, at TNT as a broadcaster or, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, do I want to be 82 games on the mm-hmm. plane traveling everywhere? You know, you think about those things. So um, I'm very thankful to be in a position where, you know, I, I was the successful campaign manager for the first Haitian woman elected to the state legislator in New York. Wow. Right? I also was a senior advisor to the first Haitian judge in the state of New York ever. Right. The first um, black male Haitian district leader in the state of New York ever. Right. They all happen to be related to me because I talked them in all of them into running. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, when you kind of have that and I have opportunities to work on projects that they just can't. Right. They can't work on these projects on this level because they have conflict of interest. Right. right? Um, I don't right now. So I'm able to move things around in ways that they can't. So for me, it's not just, oh, run for office. It's like, how do we keep how do we keep the family's business moving? Who's going to be in charge of that? Mm-hmm. And if I couldn't find a right person to hand that off to, I'd probably not do it. I got it. 
All right, so we'll put a pin on in, in the politics for now. Yeah, we'll see. But just know I'm I'm around. I know you're around. around. I know what's up. <laughs> so, are there any other immediate projects on the horizon that you want to highlight? Um. Okay. Yeah. I'm so I'm getting beat up on this Crown Heights project, right? So I need to I need to talk about it. I need, I need more supporters. I need the love. floor is yours. <laughs> so. Um, Haitian American Caucus is my nonprofit. We are the Haitian NAACP, just to make it easy, because mm-hmm. no one's gonna no one's gonna understand. But when I say that, they're like, oh, okay, we get it. Yeah. Um, so our priority this year is economic development and affordable housing. Um, there's a project being built right now, 40 Crown Street, um, where a developer is going to be bringing uh, 516 units to the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. Wow. Yes. Now. Affordable units? Aha. Good That's question. a big question. Yes. Now, everyone is probably wondering why would a nonprofit be involved in this development? Right. Traditionally, we would be the ones picketing. Right. Mm-hmm. No, we don't want development. The developer as a right tomorrow, if he wanted to, he can pick up and build 300 units without us, without anybody. That's his property. He can do that. The developer wants 200 additional units, but he can't get that without the approval of the community. Okay. He needs the community board and Department of City Planning to rezone where the building is so that he can add an additional 200 units. A hundred of those 200 will be affordable. Okay. Now, oh, greedy developers, Sam, why are you involved in this? Blah, 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 blah. People are going to listen to this and say exactly that as they're listening. Yes. Absolutely. Now, I like to do cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why would a nonprofit um, be involved with a developer? Hmm, Let's see. The developer is a multi-million dollar company that's coming here to build this big development in my community. And he doesn't have to talk to me. Doesn't have to say a word. True. I can wake up tomorrow and see a 300 unit um, building next door to my office and say, oh, wow, look, there's a 300 unit building and keep it moving. The developer needs me to get this done. Well, what do I need? Hmm. I have a lot of Haitians that are out of work. I have a lot of Haitians who um, don't really are not really in great living conditions. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of Haitians who have jobs, but might want to work a better job. I have a lot of Haitians right now who um, can't afford to live in Crown Heights because of the prices that went up. Why don't I have a conversation with this developer and serve as the um, advocacy arm for mm-hmm. this project? In addition, in, in exchange, I might have some demands from this developer. And I'm not at liberty to say what my demands are. Right. But if my demands make sense to the developer, that's what a negotiation is about. Everybody mm-hmm. has to lose something. That's what people get mixed. It's not everybody that's going to win. Right. Everyone has to lose, be willing to lose, lose something. So if the developer is willing to lose this to gain this, I'm willing to lose this to gain this. That's a good negotiation. So we are currently the advocacy arm for this development. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the negotiations that we are having that I am at liberty to say is that they're willing to work with us to give us 2,000 square feet on the bottom of the development. Wow. Where we will be having a little Haiti cultural center there. Really? Yes. To go with our new little Haiti um, designation that we have. So we are gaining something right. from this versus us waking up tomorrow and just seeing the development and knowing that we can't do anything about it and number two, we can't even get it. Mm-hmm. So the Haitian American Caucus right now, we are the advocacy arm for Cornell Realty Management. Wow. Um, we're having economic development and 
um, affordable housing workshops to talk to the Haitian community about what are your needs, right? You know, how can we benefit from this development, right? What can what can Cornell Realty Management do right now to make our lives better? Because that's it's going to take five years for that project to come to fruition. But what can they do for us now mm-hmm. that's in line with their mission and our mission so that we can win? Because at the end of the day, it's back. It's all about winning championships. If Haitian American Caucus isn't winning championships for its members, then what's the point of us being here? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and you know, and I've been I got a lot of heat. I got beat up. Um, oh, I'm week. sure. I got mm-hmm. beat up. Um, you know, one of the anti-developers, they assassinated my character at the um, Department of City Planning hearing in front of 100 plus people. At the hearing? At the hearing, yeah. At the hearing, um, you know, they 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 heckled me, you know, out of the room. Um, and, you know, it just reminded me that I have to continue to fight because at the end of the day, um, one of the, the thing that drives me and what the anti-development people don't understand is that you ain't getting nothing. Right. <laughs> you again, at the end of the day, they ha- they can build this. It's happening. Right. It's happening. Right. Come to the table. Figure something out for your people. Um, and, and that's what keeps me going. So um, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. If there are people out there who would are interested in partnering and, and, and coming up with ideas and solutions, um, you know, we're, we're going to have our meetings. Um, I'm sure, you know, I can share share my information, mm-hmm. whatever people can follow me. Please send me emails. Please reach out. I'd love to sit down and see how we can. I can't do it by myself. Right. And I'm not an expert. Right. In, in affordable housing. So I want to know what to look out for. I want to know what to say. I want to know how we can move our community to the next level, because at the end of the day, it's jobs, it's housing and it's your health. Absolutely. And if you're not tackling those three, then what are you doing? Absolutely. So this is a perfect segue before we let you get out of here. Where can people find you online? Perfect. So um, I know there's a bunch of millennials now, right? So Instagram <laughs> at SMP Connect. Um, that's my Instagram handle. Um, my uh, you can check. You always check my website is um, SMPGCS.com. Uh, my email, my my email address where you can reach me is I'm going to give you my personal email. Oh, right? look at you. Senator Pierre at gmail.com. You said yes. it. Senator Pierre. I did not. Senator you Pierre at gmail.com. I had that email since when I was 17 years old. So that's my personal email. My business email is Sam, S-A-M at S-M-P-G-C-S.com. Um, yeah. And um, in terms for the Haitian American Caucus, it's um, S-Pierre, P-I-E-R-R-E at H-A-C-U-S dot org. Um, to learn more about the Haitian American Caucus, you can go to www.hacglobal.org. Um, and that's our website. And I will tell you about the work that we're doing in the United States and in Haiti. Um, you can reach me at any one of those um, contact informations. Um, I will respond. Um, I'm excited about this work that we're doing, and I'd love to get some feedback on what the community really wants. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm just going to put this out there now. If you end up running for office, I will not be surprised at all. I don't care what you say today. If you end up running, I'd be like, I knew he was going to run. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's not going to happen. Like, I just think that I got a lot of work right now that I got to do. I get it. You, you're balancing um, a lot of things. Yeah, I got a lot of work that I got to do right now, and I think that when the time is right, um, and if 
if my people really want me to do it, then definitely I'll go in there and shake things up. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get that call for a campaign contribution oh, eventually. Course. I know. Contribution, girl, you want me to do the fundraisers <laughs> for me. What? You and, and Mac? I'm, I need I need the whole New Jersey behind me. We what? haven't called DeMarcus Mac on oh, this show I'm yet. So, so now wow. they know that's Here his nickname, go. Mac. Yeah. It's not a secret. We can okay, put it I out there. I guess AD and Supreme State Clinton could do that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> in case y'all didn't know, <laughs> Sam is also an alpha. Like, hey. Multiple people who have been on the show at this point. Oh, six, (laughs) right? Well, I appreciate you for taking the time today to speak to us. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a great time. Awesome. To our listeners, make sure you support the causes that Sam is out there involved in. Follow him on social media. Make sure you follow us and do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa, and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 